Welcome to the Town Manager Download, a podcast about local government in the town of Shrewsbury. In today's podcast, we'll be joined by Fire Chief Jim Vona to talk about the Shrewsbury Fire Department and fire operations. I'm Kevin Mizikar, the Town Manager of the town of Shrewsbury, and as always, I'm joined by Communications Coordinator Taylor Galusha. What's going on, Taylor? Just a very unproductive weekend, or unactive. Unactive? Unproductive. All I did was clean my car. So you got a lot of rest. Yeah restful weekend um or allegedly it's my sister's last weekend um in new england for the next year so where's she going she is going to ireland for a year oh nice yep for college uh is it study abroad like like a year of she's teaching at a teaching music at a high school in ireland that's cool um like doing music at a church there so wow yeah, she, she'll be on her big time adventure for the next year, so. Why is it allegedly? I think she's either going her or pa- not going. <laughs> her passport is at the <laughs> Irish embassy or whatever to get her um, stuff visa? all set. Yeah, yeah, her work visa. So if it doesn't get back in time, then I can be selfish and have her for one more, e- more week. But You um, almost said a year, so. Oh, I, think, I think she'll <laughs> let her in eventually, but. We'll yeah. see. What about you? What was your weekend like? Uh, it was pretty calm as well. Uh, spent Saturday evening at a car show in the area, which was f- just fun to walk around and see the cars and people. Mm-hmm. So, um, but any favorite car? Um, there was a, actually two really nice late '60s Firebirds that I liked a lot. One was a um convertible which you know got number two i'm not a big fan of the convertible so there was a there was a nice couple nice vehicles there Mm -hmm. so it was interesting that was not that i go to a lot of car shows but there was a lot of the i guess the new old car show parts of it where they don't really make the cars immaculate anymore the kind of like the patina version yeah where they're a little rougher around the edges so can't say that i'm a fan of that but you know I still contributed my admission fee and walked around. But I think the the saddest part of the weekend was the United States women's national team lost in the round of 16 in the World Cup. Oh. And you can't win every year, but sure. it's every four years, so they could win every World Cup and I'd be happy. <laughs> but that won't happen. Yeah, that's the earliest that they've ever been knocked out of the tournament. They've always made it to the semifinals in the other nine uh world cups they've won the last two so we've been very spoiled but for how the team looked with all due respect to the elite athletes that they are it was kind of fitting they just didn't have it together as a team seemingly for some reason but um congratulations to sweden for moving on to the quarterfinals but yeah that was the big thing so that game was on like five o'clock on Sunday morning and mm-hmm. Alexa and Ella and I waited till about 10 o'clock to begin the misery of watching the loss. <laughs> but it was good to watch, it was fun. Did you go into it knowing that they lost? No. Oh, no, you no, just no, avoided? No, no. no yeah. Just they lost in penalty kick overtime or penalty kicks after overtime. It was a penalty kick shootout, which is like, yeah, it doesn't get much closer than that. Right. So it's. Good and heartbreaking and frustrating, and but 
most of the rest of the games are at like 3 o'clock in the morning, so Can't I don't have to fight that. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. But all in all, rather calm weekend, pretty good weather, but we're back, back. doing episode 20, season mm -hmm. 2, full swing. Yeah. We have the fire department here today. What's up in the shrew generally? Um, let's see. Just some small things, but not small things, I think. Um, the food truck festival got uh, rained out on Friday, and they moved it to August 11th um, at the Maple Ave Fields from 5 to 8 p.m. Um, super exciting that it'll be, like, kind of the first one with, like, a they'll have... Um, some brewery vendors there and whatnot. So nice. I think that'll be super fun. Um, the community engagement schedule has been put together for the climate action plan. Um, there's a survey, a few virtual meetings, in-person meetings, and some um, community events that uh, staff members will be attending. So people can expect similar to what we did for the strategic plan for this. Um, kind of whatever level in, of engagement that people want to engage at, it's there for them. Um, you can find the schedule at shrewsburyma.gov slash all in Shrewsbury. Um, and that will have the survey link as well. And then another small update, but I think it'll make a big difference for people. Um, we've always had the Google Translate um, widget like attached to our website, but it used to be hidden kind of um, in the bottom right-hand corner and we've moved it up to the top left so it would be like one of the first things people see when they visit our website um, I think it'll just help with accessibility especially if English isn't someone's first language it'll just make um, what's going on in the town a little bit more accessible for everyone so I was excited to make that change that's great week. those are that is a very important change and it's good to have it front and center, I guess, more prominent on the website. Yeah. Um, a couple other things in the month of September coming up, we are finally really excited to be able to move to the dedication, formal dedication of the new police station. That's going to happen the morning of September 12th. Um, and that will be kind of the formal um, acceptance of the building. And by that time, all the ongoing work that continues between the police station and the town hall will be wrapped up by then. And then we'll be really happy to welcome the public to an open house the evening of September 21st, which is the Thursday before the Spirit of Shrewsbury. We're going to combine that event um, with the food trucks event and welcome people for tours in through the new station so everyone awesome. can see the investment that they made. So that will actually be a really fun evening. It will be nearly um, seven months after we've started using the station. So we've actually, it, it's benefited us to get really settled and, and not be still in the process of moving. So uh, we look forward to sharing both of those events with the public if anyone's interested in having the formal dedication of the station. So that's on the horizon for us as summer will be coming to a close by then. All good things in the show. That's right. Um, and now we can kind of, I guess, lay the framework of our episode today, um, talking about the fire department um, operations in town and whatnot. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Shrewsbury Fire? Yeah, so um, I think just an overview to kind of get the, the nuts and bolts out of the way. The, the fire department 
Uh, if you rewind about a year ago, we had 44 full-time staff and 10 part-time members. Um, fire chief and deputy fire chief uh, primarily work administrative day uh, shift positions, but of course are available to support the entire team on a 24-7 basis. And then in November, uh, the department added an operations uh, manager uh, position. He'll handle facility and fleet maintenance, um, and it really will provide us an opportunity to just better utilize the resources and the skills that we have uh, in hand. Uh, we have a growing fleet and growing complexities when it comes to things like uh, radio and systems maintenance. So that was a much needed position that got added partway through last fiscal year. Um, we of course have an administrative assistant that works at fire headquarters uh, that coordinates billing and payroll and purchasing and other uh, general administrative work. And um, as a department, if you look at it in, in total, um, they have a really large charge, right? Which we'll get into with the chief. You have $6.9 billion in uh, assessed property value within the community. We're approximately 21 square miles. So it's, it's a rather sizable area and a lot of value that we um, look to this team for any emergency response, whether it's fire or otherwise medical calls throughout the community. So um, we, have worked over the last several years to add uh, firefighters to make sure we have appropriate staffing level on every apparatus, uh, especially when we're serving that type of community with you know roughly 40,000 residents. Um, and we really topped that off this uh, June of 2023 where we added four additional firefighter positions. So um, these firefighters are actually in the process of going through the firefighting uh, academy um, and will be joining us later this fall uh, in their full operating position. So uh, as I said, we've focused over the last five or six years to bring staffing levels up to uh, what Chief Vona you know, had recommended to ensure all of our operations are safe and effective when we're out in the field. And that's something that I look uh, forward to diving in uh, with him on to see how that's going, what type of impact those recent changes uh, have made and will make um, on how they run the department and get into um, other changes that went along with that because um, it was more than just adding the eight additional positions. Yeah. We added some additional ranks and uh, different assignments. So it really put us in a much better position. So. There's a lot that goes on through the fire departments. It's a significant part of not only our public safety budget, but also just generally our overall budget um, to support those type of operations. And it's growing more complex, again, with the radios and the systems and the cost of apparatus and, and all other aspects of, of our um, response there through the fire department. So. We operate out of three different locations, uh, our fire headquarters at uh, Church Road, and then we have uh, two smaller stations, one on Suntec Boulevard, Boulevard and one on uh, Harrington Avenue. So um, we're able to respond to all facets of the community uh, in a very timely manner. And something that town meeting um, approved recently uh, that will impact how we operate the fire department is a study into emergency medical services. So. Yep. Currently, we contract that out with UMass, 
uh, for those services, but I think it's time for us to really uh, investigate whether that continues to be the best operating model. We know that it won't be free forever. Yep. Uh, UMass has already indicated that um, they'll need to start yeah. Yeah, charging us. And uh, it's been a sector of the economy with uh, paramedics and EMTs and emergency medical response that has struggled to maintain um, adequate staffing levels and, and positions in that demanding job. So. Um, we'll talk to the chief in, in some detail about that and how that could play out. The other half of it too was the um, unified dispatch That's study right. as well, which is I guess two new and different um, studies that could good will impact right our public safety side of things. Yeah, the unified dispatching study is something that we're an option that we're presented with with the construction of the new police yeah. station and being able to operate that way, we have the room to consider unified dispatching and now it's trying to figure out if and how a model would work for Shrewsbury. We're not the biggest community in the world and um, most other communities have moved in that direction, but we wanna make sure that if we're gonna it do that, yeah, Shrewsbury. it makes sense for us. So yeah, we'll dive into all those things um, with uh, Fire Chief Jim Vona. We'll talk to him about his career and um, I guess without further ado, mm -hmm. let's bring in Chief Vona and talk about the fire department and fire operations in 2023 in the town of Shrewsbury. Well, it's our honor to have uh, Fire Chief Chim Vona here with us uh, this afternoon on the Town Manager Download. Chief, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We look forward to diving into uh, your leadership role with the town and how the Shrewsbury Fire Department operates, you know, and meets uh, modern uh, public safety response standards and where you see the department moving in the future. But we always try to level set and provide a little bit more information to our listeners about you as a person mm -hmm. and your career in the fire service. So uh, why don't you tell us how long you've been with the town, why you chose this career? Uh, path and how you ended up becoming the fire chief here in Shrewsbury. Okay, well, I've been with the town uh, over 30 years as an employee and um, 14 years as a fire, in my 14th year as fire chief uh, right now. Uh, after college, I wasn't sure what I was uh, going to do, but I came back to my uh, hometown. I've pretty much lived here my, my whole life. and. Uh, you know, I thought I would maybe move to Boston or New York or something like that. And, and, uh, but then you live in other places and you realize what a good town that you came from and that there are a lot of places that aren't nearly as nice as uh, Shrewsbury. And uh, I played a lot of sports in high school, football and baseball mostly. And uh, when I got out of college, I started playing softball with a, a bunch of guys that I played high school sports with. And uh, coincidentally, a lot of the other guys on the softball team were firefighters in town, mm. came very friendly with them. And they were like, oh, you're a you know, pretty good athlete. You'd probably make a good firefighter. Why don't you take the test? And mm -hmm. I said, well, my uncle, Bruce Card, and my cousin, uh, Chuck Card, his son, were mm -hmm. on the fire department. And I knew a couple other guys on the fire department. And, I was, and they kind of talked me into taking the test. And I said, oh, you know, I'll Sounds like kind of a, as I got more in, interested, I get on as a call firefighter part-time and uh, then I get on full-time and I just really kind of fell in love with the job. And uh, I learned from uh, some of my uh, fire chiefs, George Duhamel brought me on and said, you know, you're one of the 
the only guys with a college background, you know, if you really put your mind to it, you know, you could move up, become a captain, and maybe be chief. And I'm like, it's a little early to be like talking about now. that. <laughs> you know, I had like a year on the job. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, he's like, I think you should just start taking classes, as many classes as you can. So I started taking classes at the mm -hmm. Mass Fire Academy. Uh, went back to school, got a fire science degree. Um, and uh, eventually I went on to get my master's from Anna mm -hmm. Maria. And uh, I actually have been offered a position with Anna Maria too. I was going to talk to you. Oh, nice. That. So <laughs> I'll be teaching uh, one class a oh, congratulations. semester, uh, this semester and next semester. Oh, so. that's great. That'd so we can thank huge benefit. Softball for you being our fire chief. The last well, you know, in yeah. part, certainly, <laughs> certainly through the, the it's all guys part of that the I domino know. effect. <laughs> <laughs> so, chief, you had mentioned uh, you had been you've been the chief for 14 years, which is um, a, a very long time, and mm -hmm. with the town for 30 years. What what has changed the most about uh, fire service profession? Do you think over that time period, either one or both? Well, I, I, I think the job when I first got on was, you know, pretty cut and dry. You did mostly um, fire and alarm calls or medical calls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'd have other, you know, calls in between. But as time has gone on, history has shown us with 9-11, you know, we started studying anthrax and uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction mm -hmm. and all these, you know, other threats that we never even would have thought of. Mm -hmm. So then hazardous materials became a bigger and bigger uh, part of the job. Um, and now as the world has grown more mm -hmm. uh, complex and, mm -hmm. and confusing at times, mm -hmm. you know, now we find ourselves training for active shooter, mm -hmm. hostile uh, event response mm -hmm. uh, training that we have to do. That's not really anything, but after Columbine, you know, you started seeing the trend more and more, and mm -hmm. now we know what it's like. It's it's crazy, and every community's got to be prepared for it. So, mm -hmm. you know, the fire department and the police department uh, are undergoing uh, training, and we're going to have big training exercises. So, so um, there's a term in the military called mission creep, mm -hmm. and, and it's basically, you know. The military finds a problem and nobody else is going to solve it so they take it on and that's kind of what the fire department yeah. has become over the years just you take on more and more um, responsibilities um, that you never really at least i didn't really see when i first got yeah. on the job yeah so i mean the the name remains the fire department but it's more of a you know i think an all hazards type right. of department operation and it is right it is true that you know, if there's anything of potential issue to life and property, it's the fire department that is there responding to deal with the matter. And and then even if it's even it's planned things. Right. So, for instance, like blasting on a construction site, right. like, you know, your department handles permitting and oversight for that. So just a really broad array of services that you provide to the community, which I'm sure has changed. Yeah. Um, all the guys that, um, like when a blaster comes in and working on a project, like you say, they have to come and take out a permit, but they also pay um, the town to have somebody that 
is trained and certified from the fire department to be there to make sure that they're recording like all the seismic okay. stuff and doing all the paperwork, have the safety protocols. They're supposed to put mats down. Mm -hmm. So um, the guys have to take a class from the, mm -hmm. the Mass Fire Academy to get certified to actually work one of those uh, details because um, as your office knows, when people are blasting, you mm -hmm. get phone calls and right. people uh, claim damage on their property mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. you know, then you have to take all that paperwork and send it over to the fire mm -hmm. marshal's office and they're always looking for all, everything that we did as the fire department, which basically to make sure the town was doing mm -hmm. the right thing. So we're also in charge of dumpsters too. I don't know how that happened. But. Ah. <laughs> we won't tell you how that happened. <laughs> we just wanted it. <laughs> That's how it always goes. <laughs> What did you say? Mission creep? Mission creep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Chief, the, the fire service across the country and the world is is really different depending on the region and the areas that you're in. And, yeah. um, you know, so there's volunteer firefighters. Um, that's that's what I was familiar with growing up in rural Pennsylvania. We had yeah. volunteers, you know, um, guys that, you know, would you know, not be paid, but respond in times of need and, yep. you know, be at the station and things like that. And then uh, I don't know how prevalent it is in other parts of the country, but here in New England, many departments who are, um, you know, not fully staffed are call departments. And then we're, of course, fully uh, staffed 24-7 uh, uh, fire department operations. Can you talk about those different models and especially sure. the, the difference between uh, what some towns in the area have, which is call firefighters um, and, and versus our, our model? Um, well, our model is we have a career fire, it's called a combination department. We're primarily career and we have, uh, we're authorized, I think, up to about 25 positions on the call department, but um, it's become really difficult in the last um, few years mm -hmm. or even 10 or 15 years to maintain that many. And um, so since I was chief, we've been maintaining between 10 and 15, but I, th I think we're down to about five right now because we just hired Mm -hmm. five from the call department mm -hmm. onto the full time. Yep. So you get guys and gals trained up as uh, firefighters and then they become career and now you're looking, you know, we have civil service for hiring. So we go to the list and see if we can draw some of those folks in. But mm -hmm. um, there's not the interest that there mm -hmm. was once in um, being a volunteer mm -hmm. and um, yeah. as attrition goes on and firefighters uh, that are the you know call volunteer guys retire we're just not getting a lot of people that just want to be involved right um, part-time uh, I know out in Western Mass the great majority of the departments out there yeah. are call departments yeah. but you know some of those towns and I know that many of the chiefs out there you know so you have a town of 600 people, right. Peru, for, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. There is a Peru, Massachusetts. Has a, and Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's true. And some of these towns, like I say, they only have, you know, five or 600 people or right. 1,200 people. I mean, Shrewsbury, a massive infrastructure, big population, mm -hmm. lots of property to protect. Um, I, I see the main difference between a call department and a career department um, 
is a lot of people say, uh, what, what do we need so many firefighters for? We don't have a lot of fires. Mm -hmm. We actually do have a lot of fires, but they put out when they're very small mm -hmm. because we have people in the stations waiting to respond, whereas mm -hmm. a call department uh, in a smaller town, they might have to come from their house, mm -hmm. then they go to the fire station, they get the fire truck, then they drive the fire. Right. Okay, so say that takes 10 or 15 minutes, and science and math say 30 to 60 seconds, fires double in size okay. every minute. So if you wait 15 minutes from a little small fire, could be half the house or the whole sure. house burning down. That's, yep. you know, we have plenty of fires. We still do 80 to 100 fires a year. Um, you know, they're not all like through the roof or anything. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are starting kitchens and mm -hmm. garages and stuff like that, and they're just held to that one area. And a lot of it's not very newsworthy. So yeah, you know, yeah. you know. Well, that's when we get the the most feedback, and probably should do a better job sharing it publicly with folks. But I get a lot of feedback whenever your department goes and you know, takes what was a lightning strike that had something started in the attic and it ends there. So right. that's kind of boring for a Boston <laughs> News Channel to come and show a little bit right. of smoke, but it's an amazing asset to the community because you stopped, right. you know, catastrophic damage from happening because not only, you know, are we staffed with a career department, we got there in a short amount of time, but then the expertise of the firefighters around the scene to, to manage that event whenever they're there. Yeah. And that's what really counts. And, and that's just the response part of it too. Um, we like to invest a lot of uh, uh, resources in education, teaching, they call it, you know, uh, a generation mm -hmm. of kids that are basically, we're actually onto our second or third generation of kids that started with the whole stop, drop, and roll, don't play with matches and everything since they were little kids mm -hmm. um, that I didn't have when I was a, a kid and growing up in town mm -hmm. in grammar school. And, um, you know, we teach in the schools and preschools with the kids. Mm -hmm. We teach at the senior center. Um, so you have those programs. And then, you know, we spend a lot of time in the businesses making sure that, you know, they're taking care of you know, chemicals and mm -hmm. and things like that uh, correctly. There's a lot of restaurants in town. They've got to have their uh, kitchen hood system, suppression systems kept up to date. So, um, you know, some of it is engineering, some of it is enforcement, and, and, and a lot of it is just education. Mm -hmm. I always say our goal in fire prevention is, uh, I mean, the goal is compliance, but if we can get people to voluntarily complying, mm -hmm. complying by teaching them and educating them on why they should do it and why they have to do it, um, rather than fighting over it and then uh, or writing an order that they have to do it and go right. to court, you know, we have gone that route too. But um, I think just voluntary compliance by spending the time up front to educate people why it's in their benefit, mm -hmm. uh, their best interest to protect their business uh, yeah. by just doing the right things that they're required to do anyways. Yeah. Required by the state. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. They're not Shrewsbury <laughs> They're Massachusetts state yeah. laws. So. We're not arbitrary. We enforce the, min the minimum, <laughs> by the way. So, Chief, you, you said education, but I want to uh, 
use that term, but in a different way. So our firefighters uh, in Shrewsbury are, are highly educated individuals. Yeah. And I'm sure that's something, you know, you mentioned you, uh, or if I could put words in your mouth, one of the only firefighters when you started that had a, a college degree, right. but talk about that and and the the level of prevalence of higher education in our firefighters now and how that benefits the town i would say uh, three quarters of the firefighters uh, we have now are college educated um, about 15 out of 47 or maybe a couple more in the works have master's degrees wow. um, hmm. so that helps with obviously understanding management leadership and um, I'm on the firm opinion a smarter firefighter is better than, you know, an uneducated mm -hmm. firefighter. Um, a lot of the uh, guys that we also have on the department that not necessarily uh, college educated come from the trades mm -hmm. as well. They might have worked uh, in automotive or electrician and plumbers and they know building construction mm -hmm. very well or they know how machinery works yeah. which is important yeah yeah and um you know it helps us with things like grant writing you know uh, you have guys that have a master's degree that uh you know i used to write some of the grants early on now i have 10 or 15 guys that can help with mm -hmm. grants and when it comes to purchasing apparatus you know you mentioned that we have a full-time uh, fleet manager, but mm -hmm. he works in, uh, with a group of guys on an apparatus committee, and they do all the research on, you know, what type of vehicle, what types of uh, things that they... So, you know, having an educated group of people that are willing to do, the, do this kind of work just, uh, just helps the town overall. Sure. I mean... Uh, the previous four firefighters before the last four we put on would would done my grant by one of my lieutenants. So mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about that. So uh, over the not quite implemented yet, but we're you know those uh, second batch of four firefighters yep. are uh, going to the academy now. Um, but how how does that actually impact your operations you know these eight additional firefighters in total what was it like before then and what was the intent really behind that you know something you strongly advocated for yeah well, one of the things we've always um tried to do is work like the national standard for apparatus manning they call for four okay and like a ladder truck could be five or six like if you go down to new york city you're not going to see one or two guys on an, an engine or a ladder. There's lots of people on mm -hmm. there, and for obvious reasons. Sure. And um, we have down at our station three right now uh, just two. We have a lieutenant uh, and one uh, firefighter. And this fall, after the guys graduate the fire academy on August 25th, okay. and they do a, about a week or so of orientation at fire headquarters and then we'll move one of the firefighters from headquarters um, down to station three and for the first time we'll have what we consider a a an effective company mm -hmm. uh, of three you know you have an officer and then two people i mean because like when we pull up to a fire the first do engine her family is firefighters. Yeah, I was going to say, they talked about my dad about. with this because um, <laughs> he, he listens to our podcast. So when we went to town <laughs> meeting about 
Or we talked about the ARPA stuff. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, it's so important that there's three on yeah. fire engine. Like, tell me about it. But, yeah, my dad was a volunteer firefighter okay. for, like, over 10 years, I think. Yeah. So um, we bonded over that <laughs> quite <laughs> early on in my time. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. So what happens when they pull up? So the they fire? pull up to the fire yeah. and um, with two people, basically, um, what should happen is... Um, you get out of the engine, you set the pump where, you know, that pushes the water from the water tank in the engine mm-hmm. out the hose. Um, you know, when I first uh, came on, it was just two firefighters. So there was really the senior person was in charge, but the, basically the two of you would take the hose to the front door or wherever the fire was, charge the line from the pump at the on the uh, fire engine, mm-hmm. and then you'd run up to the front. Well, you know the standard says somebody needs to stay at the at the fire panel in case there's a failure or you need to adjust pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's very important to have water in your fire. You don't know how much water when you're on the inside of a you know totally black mm-hmm. burning building and you you know you're opening your hose line. You, you don't know how much water you have left mm-hmm. in the tank. And um, that's a three-man operation sure. minimum. And then there's OSHA laws that say two in, two out, so you have to kind of wait till a second group gets there. But if you can get all this stuff working and ready to go, so when that next engine gets there or you can get water on the fire right away, mm-hmm. um, now we would have, like, firefighter one firefighter take the hose the officer goes with the firefighter is second on the line and the other firefighter who is driving the fire engine is the one that um, runs the fire panel for the Mm -hmm. pump and everything so it's a three-man operation Uh, every study you look at says it's not acceptable and totally ineffective to only do it with two people but that's all we had years ago and we used to just basically abandon the pump and hope that nothing went wrong. And mm-hmm. sometimes things did go wrong, and then you come running out of the building, and it's a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. So, for the first time, uh, we'll we'll have you know what we consider uh, an adequate amount of people to you know at station three to attack a fire. Mm-hmm. Now we have a lieutenant and two at station two, mm-hmm. and you know we started doing that uh, a few years back. Um, through the SAFER grant, mm-hmm. um, which is a federal grant that paid for the four firefighters for the first three years mm-hmm. in part, not complete, mm-hmm. but most of it. And um, yeah, I, it's just, it's so much, <laughs> it's so much better of a, safer of an operation. Right. Like I say, we talked about, you know, having a career department, you mock down the fires fast. Having a three-man team, you know, working on a fire compared to a two-man team um we haven't you know not good we haven't had very many big fires in the last couple years Mm -hmm. since we've added that Mm -hmm. um you know third firefighter down at station two so Mm -hmm. So, that's great and it was i mean that so folks may be wondering so why four so what is that increment of four because we hire four at a time how can you explain that um we have 24-hour uh, um, coverage, 24-7, 365 days a year. 
but we have to cover all that time. It's not like the same guys can't work. Sure. You know, two hundred, uh, you know, right. hundred hours or whatever. But um, we have it's broken up over um, four shifts. Okay. That cover uh, the guys work. You know, I say guys because we have all guys right now. So. <laughs> um, they work twenty-four hour shifts. Then they're off for twenty-four. The next group comes in. Then they um, work another twenty-four hour shift. Then they're off for a number of days, and that keeps moving up. It's like an eight-day schedule, mm -hmm. an eight-day week we have, mm -hmm. and it moves like like if I work Monday um, and Wednesday this week, the following week I'll work Tuesday, Tuesday and Thursday, Thursday. and it just so. So you have four groups. Four groups. So you add one to every group to yep. get your. Right. Yep. So when you say put on four firefighters, it's not like four guys are going to any one station and they're going to be there twenty four right. seven. Right. It's right. spread you know. across. Yep. So, uh, Chief, with that um, complement of staff, you had mentioned earlier some of the numbers. Um, what what are call call volumes generally like, and and are they changing, moving in any direction recently? Um, Every year for the last few, uh, they've averaged about 10% more calls a year. Year over year. Every year. Okay. And um, I think we did just under 4,600 uh, emergency calls last year, and we're ahead of that pace mm -hmm. um, again this year. So, so I. So more I, than 10 we, calls a day. Well, yeah, we, av we average day. almost 13, 13 emergency calls, a day. calls. This year we'll probably average. Mm -hmm about 13 emergency calls a yeah. day. Um, when I got on 30 years ago, we were doing 1,400 calls oh, wow. a year. So, mm -hmm. so. Four times they know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, every time you build a new supermarket and mm -hmm. surround it with a bunch of apartments, you know, mm -hmm. that's gonna be more calls, you know, for mm -hmm. us. Um, I had been asked uh, at town meeting years ago, seems like our medical calls are going up 12% a year. Do you know the reason for that? And I said, I can find it. I can look into it and find out because they're asking, is it an aging population? Is mm -hmm. it this or that? Well, the population, I went back and looked, the population went up 12% every year. So it's, yeah. it's basically there just a oh, direct okay. reflection of population. Mm -hmm. So. Like if you put more cars in one area, you're gonna have more car collisions mm -hmm. because there's just more okay. activity. Yep. And then people forget too that you know we have five five highways in Shrewsbury, yeah. major routes: Route Nine, Route Twenty, mm -hmm. Route Seventy, One Forty, and Two Ninety. Uh, I did a little study years ago. I mean, that's hundreds of thousands of cars that go just through Shrewsbury. Yeah. Some might only be here for five or 10 minutes, but mm -hmm. the ones that crash, we're, the, we're out on 290 right. to help them, so. Right. So uh, you mentioned just a minute ago, Chief Emergency Medical Services and medical calls. Um, that's been a kind of a challenge for the industry of the last two years, post COVID yep. and in that general timeframe. Um, and I know we've talked publicly in the past about um, some longer, you know, times to get ambulances out for service and, you know, some challenges associated with staffing levels and things like that, but something that we're really focused on improving in the future. What are your thoughts on 
um, kind of looking into, you know, providing ambulance services in-house and, you know, what's your opinion been on that over the years? Um, I've always thought we should look at it mm -hmm. because right now it's one of those situations where um, we're fortunate that we're right next to a level one trauma center, UMass, mm -hmm. um, on Lake Ave. Um, we have a contract with them, um, but they're having trouble hiring right. people as well. Plus their call volume keeps going up in the city, mm -hmm. which keeps pulling their dedicated oh, ambulance sometimes. I mean, if the closest ambulance by statute and regulation if there's a if there's an accident on Belmont Hill and the closest ambulance is the Shrewsbury ambulance, it's you know the Worcester EMS Shrewsbury dedicated ambulance is the closest yeah. it's going. Right. It's that's the law, you know, yeah. and that's just for anybody's um, safety. And, sure. Uh, but as time has gone on, after you know during COVID, you had a lot of older paramedics that said, "I'm on it." I don't, I don't need to deal with this. They're, you got, you know, paramedics around 60 years old. They're in that vulnerable group yeah. of if they got it, you know, and mm -hmm. this is before vaccinations and everything, a lot of them just started retiring. Mm -hmm. uh, and then to compound that, people that were thinking of going into the business decided, well, maybe I don't want to be a paramedic or an EMT. Mm -hmm. And so that's left a nationwide um, shortage and uh, on every any given day because our call volume keeps going up uh, Northboro uh, Boylston and Westboro especially um, they're in Shrewsbury um, transporting patients mm -hmm. and, um, because they're the closest available mm -hmm. they have they have mutual aid uh, assistance agreements with Worcester EMS the UMass mm -hmm. Ambulance and uh, who's ever closest and available comes, you know. Flip side of that is sometimes our engines have to go there. over to Westboro mm -hmm. and Northboro and cover their stations because they don't have anybody there. Mm -hmm. They're in our town transporting, uh, you know, people that are in Shrewsbury. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think it's important um, to start looking at it. Um, I don't necessarily know if we need to try to start a paramedic service in Shrewsbury, at least not initially. Mm -hmm. But um, if we had some like basic service with basic EMTs, because a, a lot of transports, if somebody has a, a sore knee and they can't drive themselves to the uh, emergency room, uh, it makes sense for somebody else to drive them an ambulance, but does it have to be a paramedic, you know? Right. Uh, so, get them into the yeah, and that would take some of the uh, pressure and stress off of, uh, you know, Worcester EMS mm -hmm. and our outlying communities that, you know, you're transferring somebody that's got a cold or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the problem is we don't know most of the time until, I can't tell you how many times we've gone on a call and you think it's nothing and you get there and it's serious, mm -hmm. and other times you think you have something terrible and you get there and it's nothing. what yeah. we would say a almost nothing mm -hmm. call you right know, a low priority call mm -hmm. so i don't mean nothing but right it's just that was my word i said nothing you could blame <laughs> me for that so uh chief like we move into kind of the the final segments i mean there's been a lot of accomplishments uh that you've made over the years and um 
a couple things come to my mind that really make the Shrewsbury Fire Department stand out as the best. And the first thing is regionally. There's been, been a, a strong regional relationship that you've been able to, I know, facilitate and enhance with um, surrounding towns uh, within uh, the fire district. So can you talk a little bit about how mutual aid agreements work, especially with you know Westboro and Northboro and those strong relationships? Yeah, years ago when I first got on, um, a lot of departments, it was like a badge of honor that we handle our own fires kind of thing. And, you know, so, and I hate to say it, but, you know, some of the chiefs back then maybe had a big ego, not necessarily from, or they just right. didn't get along, their mm -hmm. personality yeah. didn't get, so they didn't work together. Uh, like years ago, we didn't work with Grafton all that much, and we're starting to work more and more mm -hmm. with them. Um, years ago, we didn't always work with Northboro or Westboro, and and now it's it's seamless. It's it's more than mutual aid. We have what's called automatic aid. Mm -hmm. um, like for example, you have the YMCA uh, right on the Shrewsbury Northboro Westboro line. So instead of you know, it's technically the building itself is in Westboro, mm -hmm. um, but part of the driveway and part of the property is in Northboro, and part of the um, the driveway and the property is in Shrewsbury, and Shrewsbury has the closest station. Mm -hmm. So the three towns got together and said, why don't we each send one engine yep. instead of, you know, for a fire alarm, rather than Westboro sending a full complement mm -hmm. of and then leaving the rest of the mm -hmm. town basically without any Exposed, coverage. Yeah. And then in Northboro, you have the uh, the Avalon uh, apartments at the Northboro crossing there. So when there's a call for an alarm at those apartments or at one of their stores, uh, a lot of times um, our engine will get there at right about the same time mm -hmm. as the, uh, the Northboro engine. And then, you know, Sometimes it will provide them on a certain call, mm -hmm. but this is all predetermined. Certain call will provide them a ladder and they'll provide us a yep. ladder or an engine. And um, we just have it all worked out. And it's also for rescue teams when there's a fire, um, rather than us trying to assemble our own rescue team, we know either Northboro or Westboro, depending on where the call is, is is coming as we call it a, a RIT team. Mm -hmm. uh, it's rapid rapid intervention um, in case firefighters uh, get lost or hurt. You have a team waiting to help get them out of the building. Right. Um, over the last, well, it's it went by very fast for me. I'm sure it did for you as well. But over the last year, you. Uh, had the honor of being the president of the Massachusetts yeah. uh, Fire Chiefs Association of Massachusetts. So mm -hmm. um, first, congratulations for that. Uh, you served your full term as president. Now you're, what is it, most recent past president or something? Immediate past Immediate president. Immediate past president, yeah. that's right. So how what was that year like? What did you get to work on? Did you know What was your impression of that? Um, well, it's a busy year. You work uh, a lot with... Uh, a couple of gentlemen that are uh, government affairs directors. Mm -hmm. They're retired chiefs that have worked with the Fire Chiefs Association. Um, you work with a board of directors and an executive board. And, and a lot of what you do is convey information out to all the other chiefs uh, around uh, the, the state. 
Um, and a lot of the work you do with government affairs is working with uh, politicians uh, on different um, agenda items that could be anything from uh, like sprinklers, uh, having them um, put into codes. Mm -hmm. So any changes in, in codes that have to do with fire alarms and uh, sprinklers, anything mm -hmm. like that, we, we work with. Um, but there was also a lot of, uh, during COVID, um, there, was a, there was a lot of work with the state on like getting, uh, you know, uh, protective equipment. We worked with um, Department of Public Health and uh, also with, um, with basically MEMA mm -hmm. uh, on getting a lot of equipment that the state had procured and they got it out you know, to the fire service through the fire chiefs okay. association. So we also work with the uh, professional firefighters, which is the unionized uh, firefighters. Um, we actually have a very good working relationship uh, with them and, and try to stay on the same page on things that are important. We've even done some stuff with the MMA and, right. you know, things that are important to communities, especially as they applied to ambulances and ambulance response. Um, a lot of that legislation is sometimes dictated down by people that have no idea right. what what the implications of what they're trying. It seems like a good idea, but you know, it becomes an unfunded mm -hmm. mandate and mm -hmm. puts a bunch of ambulances out of service because you think there should be this piece of equipment on it that is, you know, gonna cost towns. Mm -hmm hundreds of thousands of dollars to put on their ambulances right. when right. in reality is you might not need that piece of equipment. Right. So that's just one example of things. Uh, yeah. But we deal with that kind of stuff all the time. Try to, you say, keep a um, line of communication, uh, you know, with our local politicians too. I mean, Hannah Kane and Mike Moore have been great. Mm -hmm. We have uh, legislative events where we get to meet and talk with our legislators and they get to get up and um, talk with us as well. So, yeah. so um, two more questions, I guess. Uh, one will be super easy, I promise. <laughs> and uh, one more hard question. Speaking of, of being the best, well, where's the fire service headed and, and what, you know, what, does the, what lies ahead in the future? What are the biggest opportunities, challenges? However you think about that. I think the biggest challenge that the state is working on right now is, is certainly ASHER, which is, you know, the uh, active shooter hostile mm -hmm. event response. Mm -hmm. And it's getting um, unified command to work with police, fire, and emergency services, ambulances, mm -hmm. um, to get everybody um, working together on the same page. Now, in the fire service, we've always been um, ahead of the game as far as incident command goes. It all right. started with the with the wildfires out in uh, California, mm -hmm. and you're working with teams of people, yeah. and sometimes these teams um, can be, I mean, you can have a team in a wildfire that's 50 or 100 people, and, you know, you're not going to communicate individually with each of those. Right. So you have commanders, you know, and they say between five and seven people is the most you should um, mm -hmm. try to command at any given uh, incident. And um, 
we try to break that down. With unified command, it's like the fire department uh, might be in charge of fires, and um, like the police department might be in charge of a bank robbery or mm -hmm. something like that. But if you have the calls that that take a combined effort from both of those mm -hmm. groups, it's better to have unified command, everybody working together right. at a command post, communicating each other, making decisions, um, you know, consensus decisions. Mm -hmm. And whether you're going to give information out, that's consensus, what information. Um, you know, you don't want to give out the wrong information uh, if it's going to be, a, a, you know, it could be like a crime and, and you know, you don't want to give. Yeah, absolutely. So so basically it's just um, we don't want fire and police and the ambulance all making decisions in a silo, not knowing what the other is right. doing. And that's because that's especially like an active shooter event. If nobody's communicating, how do I know if somebody shows up off duty, right. whether mm -hmm. they're perpetrator or they're showing up to to help you know what right. I mean so yeah. so everybody's got to report to the command post and then they get assigned what to do it's something called freelancing that we we try to eliminate mm -hmm. everything has you know a direction and a purpose and communication yeah just to keep people safer and and it's basically a cord much more coordinated effort well that's Certainly an emerging challenge, and I've watched you know you work on that, and um, Chief Anderson, Chief Anderson work on it, and it's it's something that is very prevalent across the state that everyone is is working towards, really to keep everyone safe and provide the the best approach that we can when serving the residents. And Chief, I know you have your eyes on retirement at some point mm -hmm. in the near future, and um, certainly have served a long time here in Shrewsbury, 14 years as chief, nearly half your career at this point. So I know you've you've done so many things that uh, you know have made Shrewsbury Fire Department what it is today, and uh, certainly one of the best in the Commonwealth and uh, really in the nation. So thank you for all that service. Um, so let's, let's end on an easy note then. So what is the best beach in New England? Let's, let's go way away from fire service. Yeah. Let's just end on a light note. It's been a heavy conversation. Think about your like, <laughs> where do you want to spend it? Like, I have to say, oh, well, I, I made a, in Massachusetts, I really enjoy the Outer Cape. Okay. Uh, I like um, going down to like Nosset Beach, mm -hmm. even though there's big sharks and everything. Right. Right now. <laughs> Uh, but the the beaches on the outer uh, Cape, I really enjoy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the beach comber at Wellfleet Beach. That's mm. a mm -hmm. favorite. That, uh, but if you don't get there early, uh, can't get stuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, it's you know it's massive sand dunes and yeah. uh, just beautiful to look at. In the beach comber, you have a restaurant. Uh, like an tiki kind of bar right mm -hmm. there too. Yeah. So it's convenient. Spend your morning on the beach. You get your <laughs> lunch and everything, and so I like that. But I, I, I'm also uh, very partial to uh, what they call first beach on the Newport, um, okay, Middletown yeah. line. It's not the most wonderful beach, but it's just in a it's just in a great area. That, yeah, you know, I'm off to the right, you yep. see the all mansions. the mansions, yep. and it's it's just a uh, and it's 
it only takes an hour and 15 yeah. minutes from here. Uh, probably less than that from... I like from First Beach too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a and, unique uh, spot. The, the downfall for, you know, going down to uh, Wellfleet is, can take you three or four hours. That's true. Depending on the traffic, sure. so. How about you, Taylor? What's I the What's it. the best beach in New England? I, I'll take down the road from Nauset Beach. I'm very fond of my little Bayside Beach, Crosby Beach in mm -hmm. um, Brewster that yep. um, I Bayside. spent a lot of summers <laughs> there. So awesome. can't wait to go back maybe soon. Someday. He's Great. a Bayside girl. Yeah. yeah. Bayside girl. <laughs> That's awesome. No sharks. Well, there are now, but like, <laughs> <laughs> there, weren't, there weren't sharks when I was there. So. That's good. <laughs> I was actually on um, Nauset Beach when someone um, got attacked. It was oh, like no. a mile up and a couple of hours after I had left. But wow. that first attack a few years ago, it was like, oh, oh boy. Jeez. Scary stuff. I got to give a nod to Crane Beach. Have you ever been there? It's an Ipswich. It's a beautiful okay. place. It's part of the uh, – I shouldn't have said it um, – it's 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 a wonderful public beach. The the state group um, I can't think of the name right now, but um, it's low tide. You can walk forever, and mm -hmm. it's just oh, yeah. a really picturesque yeah. place to go. So um, that's one of that's one of our favorite places. So, well, Chief, this has been really fun. Uh, we learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners learned a lot about fire operations and uh, the challenges that uh, you've been faced with throughout your career here in Shrewsbury. Um, appreciate you coming in and taking the time to talk with us. This has been another great conversation on the Town Manager Download. Just a reminder to folks, if you have any questions or a comment, you can reach us at tmdownload at shrewsburyma.gov. On behalf of Taylor Galusha, I'm Kevin Mizikar. Thank you for listening.